And I encourage you to take your Bible and turn over to Psalm 84. These verses will not be on the screen. I want you to dig into God's Word this morning. Some of these verses will be on the screen, but these will not. So if you need to open your phone or you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to pull it out. And also take out your notes as we talk about the compassion of Abraham. And what a great message that goes right along with what Cal and Joyce are sharing with us. It was August 28th, I think it was, that we took a group down there. I, I know some of the Barfell family, we were down there for the block party. And uh, it's always a joy to go down there and be a part of it. Chris Heddington has a group that goes down periodically for meals if you'd like to go with her and help her serve. So we're highly invested in that great ministry down there. We're going to talk about the compassion of Abraham today, but we're going to look at Psalm 84. And we're going to kind of finish up a little background about Abram before we get to the character study. And as we said, uh, Genesis begins to take a shift at the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12 into uh, character studies of people's lives. And we're going to glean what we can and learn from them. Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul long just faints for the courts of the Lord my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold your shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I want to start out with that just to remind us what the purpose of church is all about. I encourage you to go home this week and read this psalm once each day. Verse 7 talks about from strength to strength. We need to come weekly together to grow and, and we recharge our spiritual batteries. I just love when he says, I'd rather be in a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than a place of wickedness. And so he says, better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. So what a joy it is that we can gather together. And I want to talk a little bit about that as we review here. And if you have your outline, the calls in life. Abraham, Abraham got called out of the Ur of Chaldees. His dad, Terah, led them out. And then they went to a town called Haran, named after one of his brothers. And Haran, Haran died before his dad, Terah, did. We mentioned how it was the first time in the Bible that a child died before his parents, one of his parents. And then, for some reason, Abraham stopped in Haran, and after Terah died, made his final approach to where he was supposed to be, in Canaan, God called Abram out of a life of polytheism, surrounded by many gods and worship. God somehow beamed down, focused upon him, and saved him. 
and uh, called him out to a place where he would go to Canaan and again be the father of a great nation and get a land for themselves. But the calls in life, the call to salvation, the application for us, I hope that you know Christ as your savior, that you feel called to him. And it's important in these last days. It says in Matthew 24, Jesus said in these last days, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But verse 13 of Matthew 24, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You and I, we are called to not just step across the line of faith at some point in time. For me, it was October 7th, 1972 at 9 p.m. at Soldiers and Sailors Memorial in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I remember it as if it was yesterday. But that was just the beginning. We have a call to carry out that salvation to the very end of our lives. And so it's a call that we're committed to. Second of all, the call to dedication. Dedication. The psalmist says in Psalm 57, I love these words, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I'm committed, God, I'm all in. You can have all of me. And later on that Psalm, verses 10 and 11, he says, why? For your steadfast love, God's love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He's steadfast because God is steadfast to him, to us, with his great love. The call to be spirit-filled. We said last week that when you come to faith in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit, that it indwells you. And God gives you all the Holy Spirit that you need. The question every day that when we wake up is, does the Holy Spirit have all of us? That's where we have to ask for this the filling of the spirit to take control of every area of our life. And then the call to be a member of a church. As Rick Warren said, and I agree with them, that in Christianity there are no orphans, that we're all part of a family, that we need to be part of a Bible-believing church that preaches the gospel, that's called out to carry out the ordinances of baptism, of, of, of communion, but also to gather together to worship, to evangelize, to disciple, to serve using our spiritual gifts. We have to be a member and we have to be committed to that, even through the thick and thin of this difficult time with COVID and especially the spike that we're experiencing not only in our church, but in Scott County and even in Illinois as well. We're called to be a member. This is a time for us to rally the troops together. In Hebrews 10, it says, let us hold fast, a sign of commitment there, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ drawing near. Franklin Graham said he believes that we may be in the last days. And we have to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because God is faithful. So we need to be careful. We not follow the ways of the media or caving into a feel-good religion. We have to remember that we're engaged in a battle. And if you can't see that battle right now in front of us, front and center in our country right now, then you need to ask God to give you spiritual eyes. Yes, we are here very carefully following the CDC guidelines and 
Iowa Department of Health. We're making it possible for those who want to be here in person safely to worship together. And I'm thankful for our elders. So we've spent a lot of money to improve our online streaming services to accommodate those who want to stay home and receive the church service in that manner. But the concern, and we need to be thinking about this over time, is as we are physically separated, will we fall away from the faith? Will we neglect the gathering of ourselves together? And I'm hearing that from pastors locally and around the country. So each family in our church needs to prayerfully ask themselves and pray about at what point, at what point would it be safe for you to come back? And that has to be answered by everyone uniquely and differently. At what point will you come back in corporate worship? What needs to happen? Is it the vaccine? Are the guidelines lifted? What is it? The answer to that question should be asked from time to time on the facts and the details as this pandemic changes. But the goal should ultimately be to gather back here together physically at some point when everyone feels safe to do so. In 1 Timothy 4, it says there, and you can take your Bible and turn over there to 1 Timothy 4. These verses are not up on the screen. But I want to shore up and just remind ourselves of the call and what we're to be committed to. It's easy to get so distracted and to allow life to take its course that we lose focus on what is the central reason for the church and why it's important that we gather. First Timothy 4, Paul said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, when it's popular and when it's not. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That's our call. And whether that means that we do it in smaller groups, in some other ways, on WANA on Wednesday night, whether it's Zoom or in person, we need to view the church as a group of people who are gathering together somehow, some way to worship and to battle against the evil in this world, that we're bound together by the Holy Spirit, the word of God and the bond of love that we have in the unity of the spirit. With so many choices online of churches, be mindful and discerning of what you're watching. Austin was telling me this week about a famous megachurch person. If I named his name, everybody would know who he was. And he has now a motivational cube for $39.95 that you can purchase. And you push a button and you get a two-minute motivation with a little bit of scripture, you know, kind of sprinkled in there as well. People are looking for teaching that tickles their fancy instead of sitting faithfully under God's word in a church or online at their church to faithfully look at God's word and apply it to their lives. I believe in this time, one of the things God is doing is he's pruning back his church. He's separating those who are really all in from those who may have been consumer or uh, just uh, uh, Christians who were just on the fringe Uh, of this society. We're seeing a pruning back of the church to see who the real disciples are. And then the call to evangelize and disciple, to evangelize and disciple. 
And really, as I've been praying about how to do outreach in this difficult time, it's really come back to what the disciples did. It's now one-on-one conversations. There's a, a famous talk show host, and he's set up a challenge. He's a Republican. He says, how many of you can turn a Democrat to vote Republican? And he gets people to call in and talk about the conversations that they've had. Well, the challenge Jesus is giving to us is to engage people in spiritual conversation and point them to Jesus for salvation. And are we individually doing that, starting with our kids, our families, uh, those coworkers that we are around, our neighbors, since we're home more, our, our coworkers that we talk to about these uncertain times, maybe at the water cooler or whatever. And then the last call was to our heavenly home, to our heavenly home. I was convicted this July when I read this devotional by John Piper, and a portion of it will be up on the screen. As I think about what our life is all about, what is most important? John Piper, in his July 14th devotional, said, fulfilling your ministry is more important than staying alive. This conviction is what makes the lives of radically devoted people so inspiring to watch. Most of them speak the way Paul did about his ministry in Acts 20, 24, where he said, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Doing the ministry that God gives us to do is more important than life. You may think you need to save your life in order to do your ministry. But on the contrary, how you lose your life may be the capstone of your ministry. It certainly was for Jesus only in his 30s. We need not fret about keeping ourselves alive in order to finish our ministry. God alone knows the appointed time of our service. He will decide when our death is not an interruption of our ministry, but the last act of our ministry. Henry Martin was right when he said, if God has work for me to do, I cannot die. In other words, I am immortal until my work is done. Therefore, ministry is more important than life. And when I say ministry, all of us have ministry. If we're parents, if we're grandparents, if we work in administration and management or wherever it may be, we have ministry with people. The challenge I have for you is to keep all that is going on in the world around us in perspective. Look at it through God's word, as Mario said earlier, through God's perspective. He's on the throne. And I hope you see the opposing worldviews that are out there that are going on, and you see God and Christianity and where it stands. And as you think about voting here in just about 15 days or so, we're not electing a pastor or a Sunday school teacher for president of the United States, but where do we land on the issues that the Bible speaks to? I will talk more about that next week. And sometimes we have to vote for the lesser of two evils. There's no doubt about that. Some of the decisions are difficult, but the bottom line, God is asking for a strong commitment to the callings of our lives, even if it means pain and sacrifice. A verse of scripture that I learned very early in my Christian life about discipleship, Luke 9:62, Jesus said this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So our application here is keep your hand to the plow and look to the future with hope, with hope. Because God's going to get us through this COVID-19 and the election and whatever happens after the election. We have to remain faithful and endure to the end. We have to have hope with our faith. 
Our faith is found in the God who is the very author of faith. Our second main point here, the categories of faith. And let me just share very quickly these things, then we'll get to the compassion of Abram. The categories of faith. First of all, a sensible faith. You and I, we daily walk by faith. Now I want you to think about this, even unbelievers. How many of you, when you walked out the door today, had some kind of device to measure the oxygen level to make sure that the air you were breathing had enough oxygen to breathe and come to church? None of us did that, right? How many of us, by faith, took out our car keys and put it in the ignition? Or maybe you have a new car that you don't have to put in the ignition, but you have your keys with you and it starts the car. We believe the car's going to start by faith, right? We go on and on. You didn't check the legs of the chair that you're sitting in when you came in to see if somebody on Saturday night came in and sawed it partly so that you might fall over, right? You came in and sat down by faith. But when it comes to the daily functions of our life, we predictably believe by faith that everything is going to go possibly a certain way. Yet circumstances come along that cause us doubt. Then there's saving faith, saving faith. And this is like from Evangelism Explosion. It talks about not an intellectual faith, like you know the gospel in your head that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, like George Washington was the first president of the United States. No, that's something that you've applied and taken into your heart and your life. It's also not the kind of faith that's a get-me-out-of-trouble faith. God, if you get me out of the situation, I promise I'll serve you. And how many people have reneged on that? Saving faith is a genuine, woe is me, I am undone, Isaiah 6, come to Jesus moment. Matthew 5, where it says we're poor in spirit, and we know that in and of ourselves, we're incapable of salvation, but it's by grace alone that we are saved through faith. And then there's the sanctifying faith, the calm assurance that God's at work, making us holy making us into his image each and every day through the circumstances and the moment of our lives. I view my life as like a piece of clay on the potter's wheel. And sometimes the fingers of the potter have to squeeze and do things to shape that that clay to make me more like Jesus. And sometimes it hurts and sometimes it's not fun. But he's making me into a beautiful piece of artwork. Someone who's made in the image of Jesus. That's the sanctifying faith that we need to have. And so we need to view the things that come into our life to say, well, I guess I needed to do that or I needed to face that so I could be more like Jesus. What are you teaching me in this moment? And then there's supernatural faith, trusting God and watching him to do miraculous things in your life. Yeah, Curtis and my daughter Bethany are here today. Bethany's somewhere in the building, but my daughter, um, when she was in high school, she tore ACL and she had to give up her basketball season. And it was also around the time that we were uh, seeing the end of our ministry at the church we were at. There was a lot of turbulence going on and chaos. And so when she tore ACL, we went to the sports doctor and he said it's going to cost just over $900 out of pocket to pay for this ACL surgery. And I'll never forget, we were not allowed to preach for a few weeks until the final decision to unceremoniously end our ministry time there. And so we went to visit my former youth pastor's church about an hour away in Homewood, Illinois, Dan Fox. 
we walked into this converged church, first time I'd been in a converged church, and we went in, 400 people, we knew three people, the pastor, Dan and Heather Fox. At the end of the service, they invited my wife and I to come up. They put two chairs up front. They said, this couple's going through a really difficult time in their life, and we want you to come and love on them and pray over them. And again, we didn't know anybody in the room. And so for the next 15 minutes, people came and laid hands on us and prayed. They put an offering plate out unbeknownst to us. And at the end of that time, they handed us a check for $1,000. We knew we had a bill coming of 900 and some dollars. The supernatural faith, how God provides. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we have to look past COVID-19, the effects of the duration of the ethnic unrest, even the election and its results. God is there. He will be on the throne. 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. One of the prophets said that if we will keep our eyes on him, he will fill us with his peace. Psalm 56.3 says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Well, Lord Halifax, he was a former foreign uh, ministry person in Great Britain. And he was riding on a train uh, in a small compartment with two uh, ladies who were middle-aged and who were unmarried. Well, something really interesting happened. They went into a very dark tunnel that was very long and Lord Halifax took his hand and put it to his mouth and started to make these loud kissing noises. And then they came out and they arrived at the station. And he stood up and he lifted his hat and said, thank you kindly, one of you ladies who uh, gave me those kisses and walked out. And the two ladies were just glaring at each other, not knowing who did what. He created an atmosphere of doubt between those two ladies. Well, that's what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to create doubt because of the circumstances of our life, because we don't know what's going to happen next, uncertainty. And maybe those are the things that bring us to a crisis of faith, as Henry Blackaby talks about in his book, Experiencing God, where we see how strong our faith really is. So our application there is our passion of faith will turn to doubt if you and I don't stoke the fires of faith. We have to stoke the fires of faith. There's all kinds of reasons that we should doubt, that we easily fall away, get wrapped up in the discussions of the things of this world instead of looking at things from God's perspective. Well, lastly today, as we really get down and dig deep into the story of Abram, we're going to see how Abram and this man grew in his faith. And sometimes it was two steps forward and one step backward. He's, we're going to see a lot of things in his life that we can relate to. So the last point today is this, the compassion of Abram. The compassion of Abram. Abram shared his wealth and rescued Lot. Take your Bible, turn over to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13, as we continue our study in the book of Genesis, all that was kind of intro to get us to understand the commitment and the depth of faith that Abram had. In Genesis 13, look at verse 5. 
I'm sorry, look at verse eight. Then Abram said to Lot, if there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are herdsmen. Verse nine, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, Abram said, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. And thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You might want to put an asterisk by verses 12 and 13 because in the new year when we get to Lot, we'll refer back to these verses because of this choice that he made. But for today, what we want to talk about though is the compassion. We see the compassion of Abram. So Abram shared his wealth and rescued Lot. And so they came to a place where they were divided because both the herds were getting uh, intermingled one with another. And they wanted to figure out whose was whose and separate so there wouldn't be fighting between the two of them. And so Abram let him choose where he wanted to go. And of course, he chose the most beautiful part of the pasture land for his uh, herd. He wanted the best water, the best grass, and so he moves towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know that eventually that became a very wicked place. And then second of all, Abram shared his wealth and worship to God. Shared his wealth and worship to God. You know, we think of the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. They ended up going into battle. To make a long story short, Lot and his wives and all his belongings were taken away because the enemy uh, took them into captivity. And so Abram was made aware of this by someone who escaped and said, Lot has been captured and all his possessions and his family. So in Genesis chapter 14, if you want to turn over there, it says in verses 17 through 20, that after his return, Genesis 14, verse 17 after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed them. He said, Blessed be Abram by the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. As we think about that experience, after he not only regained uh, everything for Lot and his family, but he also enjoyed, Abram did the spoils of defeating the enemy. When he was confronted with a Christophany of Christ, Melchizedek, he gave the first tithe recorded in the Bible. And there's a lot of debate as to whether we should be tithing today or not. I believe it is true we should because this is before the law. And even the New Testament, Jesus talks about when you tithe, when you fast. But the point is that he gave. He gave of his possessions to God in an act of worship. And I think you and I, we have this thing in our program called worship through giving. It's important that we pray. It's important that we get into God's word. It's important that we hear the preaching of the word. But it's also important that we give. 
It's our way to give back to God as we emphasize over and over again. I believe if we're not giving to God what he asks, we're missing out on all kinds of faith opportunities and answers to prayer. And we don't have time to turn over to Malachi 6, but I think it's important to understand that God says that if we will uh, give to him, give to the storehouse, which I believe in the New Testament is the local church. If we give that tenth, that God says he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. It's the only place in the Bible in Malachi 6 you'll find that God says, test me on this. Try me. See if it's not true. I challenge you to do that. Here's a story. In 1987, the largest single-day stock market crash since 1929 took place. Some of us in this room were affected by that with our 401ks and other things. And one day, my wife Renee and I lost more than one-third of our life savings and the money we'd put aside for our kids' college education. I was horrified and became like a man obsessed each night, working past midnight, analyzing our spreadsheets. All we had was lost. And the next day, I was calling in orders to sell even more stock and mutual funds. He said that turned out to be the absolute worst thing he could have ever done. He was consumed with anguish over his lost money, and it showed. And one night, when he was up past midnight trying to figure out what to do with his money, his wife Renee said, Honey, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, and a good income. So much to be thankful for. You need to let this go and trust God. Don't you hate it, he said, when someone crashes your pity party? He says, I didn't want to let go of it. I told her I felt responsible for our family and that she didn't understand it was my job to worry about things like this. So then she suggested we pray about it. Something, he said, that didn't occur to him. So we did. At the end of the prayer, to my bewilderment, Renee said, now I think we need to get out the checkbook and write some big checks to the church and ministries we support. We need to show God that we know that it's his money and not ours. I was flabbergasted at the audacity of my wife's suggestion, but in my heart I knew she was right. So that night we wrote some sizable checks, put them in envelopes addressed to various ministries, and sealed them. And that's when I felt the wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from the worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless and giddy. God, please catch us, because we just took a crazy leap of faith. God says in Malachi, test me and see if I will not throw open the flood gates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough to contain it. Again, I just encourage you to think about the generosity and the compassion of Abraham. He was a giving person because he knew God personally and he knew that God would take care of him. And the more that he gave, the more God would give to Abram. And we'll see that through the course of his life. So as we close today, do you have a heart of compassion? A heart of generosity? The application here is compassionate faith is trusting God to provide as you share with others. God doesn't give it to us for us to hoard it. We're to be like a, a pipeline, a conduit that keeps it going as he pours into us, whether it's financial or whether it's of our time and our talents, our spiritual gifts, as we give, God's going to give us more and give us more and give us more. That's the problem with the Dead Sea. You can float in it. It's got all kinds of uh, minerals in it, but it's dead. 
There's no source out. God wants us to be like the Mississippi River where we're continually flowing out. So here's our key thought. Let's stay faithful, each of us, in our calling to our church family. That's so important. It was worth this time of, of uncertainty as we're facing an uptick here in our county with our own people in our church. Let's stay faithful, each and every one of us, in our calling to our church family. Let's stand strong in our faith. Let's bow for prayer. And I encourage you this week to take a look at those questions to ponder. And I leave them there for you to think about as you go throughout your week. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you're struggling with your faith or your compassion. And God's speaking to your heart, whether you're online or whether you're here in the sanctuary. Maybe God's challenging you, strengthening your faith. Make sure you don't let the doubts pull you away. And are you being generous and compassionate with the things that God is compassionate? Are you being generous and compassionate with the things God has given to you? Father, we've been presented with a lot of things just this morning as we think about the opportunity with Operation Christmas Child and all that's going on at Hope at the Brick House and how many people in our church have had an integral part in that ministry as many other churches here in the Quad Cities. Lord, we just thank you for the faithfulness of the, the people here at Pleasant View Baptist Church. And may we continue to be strong. May we continue to be connected in these times when not all of us can be together physically. And help us to know how we can minister to one another in these difficult times. And so, Lord, fill us with generosity. Fill us with compassion. But most of all, fill us with faith, faith in you, to keep our eyes focused upon you only through these times because you're the only certainty that we have. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.